but don't go to sleep. <laughs> I'll yell at you. I'll make this thing whistle or make some crazy noises. You'll think we're on a movie set or something. Well, Lord, thank you. Why don't you just thank the Lord for what he's doing? Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. We love you. We love how you deal with us. We love how you fellowship with us, how you talk with us. We love how you make things better. (laughs) And we just pray today you continue to make us better and continue to increase our capacity to love you and to love other people, God. We ask that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation today that we may know you better, God. That's what it's all about, is to to know you and to be known by you, God. And uh, we just... We ask the Holy Spirit comes now and does what he does. In Jesus' name, amen. Do what he does and does what he do. (laughs) All right. If you want to open your Bible to Romans 4, we're going to do something fun. Wednesday night, we got into a discussion in our Bible study, and I felt like it would be important for me to address the things we talked about there and expound on them a little bit, because we got into some, some questions and and uh, it's, it's rapid fire sometimes on, on Wednesday night because we're, we're literally reading verse by verse and ex- expressing what we see in it, what we sense in it as we go along. And so some of the things that come up in the teaching are really deep or abstract things that we don't talk a lot about. And so we had a really good discussion and I felt like it was um, it goes exactly with where we've been going the last few weeks. Um, I think the last three sermons that I've done and then this one will be the fourth our repentance restores the standard. Would you say repentance restores the standard? And, and that's the goal. And I, I guess one of the, the, the focal points and things that I, I want to remind everyone of is that the availability of grace does not automatically enter everyone into grace. Just because Jesus died on the cross and made it available for everyone doesn't mean that everyone's going to partake of it. We have to decide. It was kind of cool. Josiah asked a question the other day. He says, you know, if, if Jesus loves us and he wants us all to go to heaven, then why are we even here? I was like, oh, God, he's already asking those questions. <laughs> he's like, why don't he just make everyone love him, and then we can all just go to heaven, and then we don't have to do what we're doing, you know, kind of thing. <clears throat> I said, I understand the question you're asking, Josiah. It's a very good question. It's a proper question. <laughs> And I like how you're thinking, but God does not want to control people. He wants people to love him because they choose to, not because he forced them to. I said, and and it cannot be love if it's forced. And so the only way God can love us is to give us the decision, the choice to love him in return. And that's why we're here. We're getting the opportunity to love him back, to say, I love you too, God. To kiss him back. And so he's like, okay, hopefully that was a sufficient answer for a nine-year-old. But we'll, we'll see. He asks some tough questions sometimes. Um, but this is what we're doing. We're, we're trying to learn how to love God back in the way he deserves to be loved. That's why we're doing this. That's what church, Christianity, all, that we, all the religious things we talk about, it's for the purpose of loving God and being loved by Him. And uh, so, just because it's available does not mean that everyone partakes of it. There is a choice. Um, This week, Moral Revolution sent out a a tweet or something, some social media thing, 
Um, and it says, conviction is a gift from God, initiated by Holy Spirit. So conviction doesn't feel like a gift, but it is a gift from God, initiated by Holy Spirit. It is precious because it tells us that we're sensitive to God's voice. That's why conviction's really good. Besides the fact that it helps us become better, it signals to us, we're getting the signals from God. We're hearing Him. And that should be an encouraging thing. Amen? So you, you guys good? <clears throat> Let's just read Romans 4. And we're going to read 1 through 17. Excuse me. Then we'll go back and we'll break it up into bite-sized pieces as much as possible. And we'll go from there. I'm reading the NIV, even though there are some translations that are probably a little bit better. But This is uh, Romans 4. And it says, What then should we say of Abraham, our father? What did he discover in this matter? And if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But not before God. (laughs) What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited credited to him as righteousness. Now, what's important for us to know here is that the, the, peop- the Jewish people that were becoming believers, that were becoming Christians, had grown up with the belief that Abraham was a perfect man. It was their, their oral tradition that was passed on through the generations, taught them that Abraham was a perfect man. He was a blameless man without fault because he became the father of the faith and the father of nations. So there was nothing wrong with this man. And how many know that Abraham had some character flaws throughout his life. He lied about his wife being his sister multiple times. His sons followed his example and lied. I don't understand that, but he lied about his wife being his sister. And the king was angry. He's like, you almost caused me to to do an evil thing because you lied to me. And then Abraham and Sarah, they plotted together on how to have a son outside of the promises of God. So Abraham had some flaws, right? And so it was important for them to say here that... that, um, Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited, I'm having a hard time with that, it was counted to him as righteousness. <laughs> he believed God. It wasn't because he was perfect or because of his works that made him righteous before God. It was the fact that he knew the God who promised was faithful and able to do what he promised. All right, let's finish reading. It says, now when a man works... His wages are not counted to him as a gift. How many like the fact that when you work at your company, if your boss came to you and made, it, made you feel like that he was giving you a gift when he gave you your paycheck, how many would say, hey, wait a second, this is not a gift from you. I earned this. <laughs> right? So don't act like you're being real generous here. I worked really hard for this money, right? So when a man works or a woman works for his wages, it's not counted as a gift to him. It's, his op- it's an obligation to that person. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the, the wicked, his faith is counted as righteousness. So David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. You guys reading this? Verse 7, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will not count against him. So David is telling us of a New 
Testament, a new kingdom um, uh, principle. It's called reconciliation. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, and it says that God was reconciling the world to himself by not counting men's sins against them. And David was speaking of this here. It says, Is this blessedness only for those who are circumcised or for the uncircumcised as well? It says, We have been saying that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it counted to him? Was it after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. We'll get into that in a moment, but that's powerful and important right there. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be counted to them. Verse 12. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That's how many times can we say circumcised? And it not be uncomfortable. Zero. (laughs) All right. Verse 13. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of of the world, but it was through the righteousness that came by faith. Everyone say righteousness comes by faith. See, for if those who live by the law are heirs, then faith has no value and the promise is worthless. (laughs) Because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offsprings, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of all of us. And it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, that God who gives life to dead and calls things that are not as though they are. And that is just a lot of stuff right there, right? So here's, here's where we're going to go today. <clears throat> I, want to inter, inter, I want to do an introduction of this. You guys all right? Man, brains. I think I got a concussion watching the Longhorns lose that one last night. <sighs> Lord, have mercy. Run the clock out. That's all I have to say. Just run the clock out. All right. We are justified by faith. Not by our works. Everyone say, I'm justified by faith. Not by my works. So it's important that we understand that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it paid the full penalty of sin. It cleared all the debt of all mankind. It justified all of mankind. Jesus did that. And it was enough. Nothing else needed to be done other than what Jesus did. It was a sufficient sacrifice. Everyone say it was sufficient, which means more than enough. It was more than enough. It was more than enough to cancel the penalty and the debt of all of mankind. We were justified by what he did before we were even born. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and we were justified. And I just want to define justified just as if we had never sinned. 
the debt was canceled, the penalty was paid, and we were declared righteous. All right? Here we go. In verses 1 through 5, the question is asked, why is Abraham righteous? Why was he, why was he counted righteous before God? And we know it was because he believed God. He was of faith. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he, his belief in who God is was the faith that put a credit into his account of righteousness. All right? Everybody okay? So this is the question that I asked the class that's going to launch us to where we're going today. Can our works for God obligate God? That's a trick question. So anytime a preacher ever asks you a question, do not answer. I'm just telling you right now, don't shake your head yes or no. Just sit there poker face. Let me see the poker face. Can our works before God, for God, obligate him to reward us according to what we do? The answer is yes. Not because of our works, but because he said he would do these things. And he's bound to his word. He's not bound to my deeds or to my works. He's bound because he said that he would do this if we do that. All through scripture, God says, if you do this, I will do that. If you do this, I will do that. And if we do this and God doesn't do that, then God lies to us and God is not a liar and he does not change his mind. So you can take that a, a bit further and, and, and Kurt asked a great question in class. Well, then, then can we, you know, kind of force God's hand? We kind of got into this discussion and here's the, here's the deal with that. I can work and do the works of the kingdom and receive a, a reward from God because I'm doing the things of the kingdom. But if I base my relationship on, God, I did this, now you have to do something, then I have made myself, see, I told you I'd wake you up, I've made myself obligated to the entire law now, which is impossible for me to live up to. So we try to sneak in and say, well, God, I prayed, and God, I fasted, and God's like, good, I will reward you according to your prayer and according to your fasting. But if you want to live and you want to base your relationship on me based on obligation, here's the whole law. You're now obligated to, to obey the whole law. The reason that, that this is important, that we understand this, is because grace does have its benefits. Living according to the ways of the kingdom have benefits. And it's really important that you and I understand that when we connect our heart to God and our faith begins to express itself through deeds and we are working for the kingdom, then there's a reward that comes to us. It's important we know that. God absolutely loves to reward us, not because of our deeds, but because our faith has caused us to act upon we say we believe. Does that make sense? In other words, I can say, I want to obey this law. God, you're obligated to me because I'm doing everything you said. I'm obeying this. But I'm not doing it out of faith anymore. And what does the Bible say? If it's not in faith, then it's, it's sin. So now I've brought myself out from grace and back under the obligation to the whole law. 
and no one can uphold the whole law. That's why we needed Jesus to come, because Jesus paid and did what we could not do. And how did he do it? He was in his father and his father was in him. Jesus worked according to his father's wishes because he was in his father and his father was in him. He even pleaded with people, no, I'm in my father and my father's in me. And if you don't believe me, at least believe the, the works that I do. Why? Because the works are an outward expression of an inner declaration of faith. You cannot say, I have faith and not have works. And I can't say, well, I have works. I don't need faith. Yes, we do. We need both of them. They are both completely incomplete without each other. And what has happened is there's, there's these two veins of thought that split off in the church where, where one vein of thought is we're going to work for our salvation. We're going to earn God's love. We're going to earn the things of the kingdom. And, and we're going to control everything we can by what we do. And that's wrong. Then there's the other side that says, well, I've got everything because Jesus paid for it and it's all in my account and everything is done and Jesus is already the king of the world and everything's perfect and there's no action to live up to the faith that we proclaim. They're both equally foolish. The kingdom is the perfect marriage of people declaring that Jesus paid an all-sufficient sacrifice and then showing people what comes because of his sacrifice. It's the action How many of you have ever driven by a place and this is the world's greatest hamburger? How many of you have ever stopped in just to see if they were telling the truth? And the hamburger was horrible. And you're like, man, Whataburger has a better hamburger than this place. They're making claims that they can't live up to. That's what we do when we're over here saying, oh, we have all the stuff and, and everything is right. And we don't do anything with it. You guys Okay. So when, when did God give the promise to Abraham? Was it before circumcision or after? It was before. If you want the references, it's Genesis 15, verse 6, and then Genesis 17. Genesis 15, 6 is, is the declaration of the promise. Genesis 17 is Abraham rounding up all the men in his family that wanted to kill him now and going and saying, we're all getting circumcised. He had already received the promise from God. And here's, here's where we're at, okay? And I've been preaching this, this type of message for a few months now for a specific reason, because we have to have good theology. It's important. It's encounters with God, um, the ecstasy stuff that comes with God, they're important. But if there's no foundation in the truth of what God says, then all that stuff is mirrors and smoke. God will not build His kingdom upon smoke and mirrors. He builds, up, builds it upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. And what was Jesus? John says He was the Word made flesh. There, he was the... <laughs> so God could have made all these powerful declarations from heaven and expected us all to live up to them. 
But he didn't stop there. He gave us a tangible, a visual representation of the things that he declared with his mouth in Jesus Christ. So much so that Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen my father. And all of it was done because God was acting out his declaration of what he believed through his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I can see that there's a reality to the things that God promises. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence. Faith is not some abstract thing that I can say, oh, I have faith and you can't see my faith. Faith looks like something. If I say I have faith, yet I don't discipline my life after the life of Jesus Christ, then my faith is not worth anything. You guys okay? Faith is, it looks like something. That's why Jesus came in flesh form, to show us the kingdom's real. What was his first message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. You can touch this. This is real. This is not an abstract God far away. See, God is not this distant God in heaven. When Jesus came, He he brought heaven to earth so that you and I can see it, taste Him, touch Him. And you and I cannot call ourselves Christians or followers of Christ and only say we have faith. We have to have works. And on the other hand, we can't only have works but have zero faith. Because then we're just robots that just make everyone else angry. (laughs) It's true. We just make everyone else mad. There has to be this perfect marriage of both. Circumcision for Abraham was not a requirement to receive the promise. This is where we fall apart in our... Don't take, literally, think about how we apply it to our lives. So I have to do these things to get what God says is mine. Abraham did not get the promise from God because he performed. It wasn't a requirement. God didn't say, now Abraham, I'm, I'm about to give you some really good news. I'm about to tell you something really cool that will happen for you. But first, before I tell you, you need to go do something for me. It's going to hurt, all right? Face it, they didn't have knives, they didn't have lasers. This is going to be, he didn't do that to Abraham. He told Abraham what he was going to do. He goes, look at the stars, count them. If you can count them, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And this is Abram, Abram at the time. He had no children. Oh man, we could just dive into that. The promise wasn't fulfilled because of the requirement. Yet Abraham still chose to obey God in an action of a painful thing. What I'm getting at is the works that we do, the response to God. When we say this phrase, God initiates and we respond, it's a nice way of saying God commands and we obey. (laughs) It's a really sweet way of saying this. It's a non-offensive approach. Because in all reality, 
All creation responds to the voice of God. The mountains are where they are because God wanted them there. The oceans are at the level they're at because he said so. He put a mark and said, you can't go any further. And from the time of creation to now, they have been in response or obedience to his voice. So when we say he initiates, we respond. It's really important for us to understand that when God says something, our obedience is a loving response to him. It's not a requirement because we can say no. Go back to Josiah's conversation. He gave us a choice and he loves it when we choose to do what he says. Because when we when we when our faith causes us to act in obedience, we are now connected to a superior realm. We are now connected to a reality where nothing is impossible. We have now said, I not only believe you in theory, but because I believe you so much that I'm going to act out my belief in my life. Because you're the God who calls things that are not as though they are. And you're the God who causes dead things to come alive. So Abraham did not take his whole family through circumcision because God was trying to get him to do this so he could get something. Abraham did it in response to his belief in who God was. You know what, God? I believe you so much that I'm going to do that horrible thing you're asking me to do. My faith in you is so strong. You could tell me to kill my son when he's born. I'll do it. Because I believe you. Think of what Abraham was demonstrating for us in his life. God says something and he means it. And he's worth whatever he asks us to do because he's worth it. He's worth it. He's worthy. Don't be afraid of him. Trust him. Respond to him. Obey him. He's not obligating you. It's your choice. But because we love him so much, it's really easy to do it. It doesn't feel like sacrifice. It doesn't feel like he's forcing me because I'm choosing to submit myself to him. I'm saying you're greater than I am and I surrender to you. You guys okay? You can read James 2 if you want to read more about faith and works. Basically, I love the line. He's like, if someone comes up and they're naked and you say, oh, go and be well. Good job. You didn't do anything for them. They leave hungry. They leave naked. Your words are empty to them. Man, I hope you do well today. I hope things turn around for you. Yet you've got a $20 bill in your pocket. He's like, give them the $20 bill. Do something. Don't say, I wish thee well. Act out on your well wishes. I wish you well. So much so that I am moving into action and I'm giving you $20 or whatever it is. That's real faith. It's not faith to say, oh, I hope you get better and not do anything. Everybody okay? See, faith is incomplete without action. I want to go back and say something here.
Faith stirs us into action. How many of you ever been stirred into action? Faith comes up in you and you just stirred into action. It's true. And, and the reason this is important, we got into it Wednesday night, and I wanted to bring it up again today, was um, I, I used the example from my family where my papa is, is still preaching the gospel, and my father still preaches the gospel, and I preach the gospel. And if you lined all three of us up here and put notes in front of us, all three of us would preach it a different way. My papa would preach it more letter of the law. He was raised, and this is just it. There's no... Um, you know, they even were raised in the time where you can't wear pants, you can't wear makeup. It was all against the women, you know. <laughs> now, now, men did have to wear suits and ties, but, man, the women, just, they just could not look pretty at all unless they were naturally beautiful is what they were saying, right? They were, I'm sorry, that, was, that came out probably wrong, but I hope you give me grace. You're beautiful, ladies, without makeup and all the other stuff. I, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Immediately regretting those words. <laughs> I did not mean that. But because of our understanding of who the Father is, it's going to come across a different way. It doesn't make my way wrong and my dad's way right. It doesn't make my papa's way wrong and my way right. It's according to their faith that they preach the gospel. It's according to their understanding of who God is. For me to dishonor my dad or my papa because I think I know God a little bit differently than they do. And I, I should. I should know them in a deeper way. I should know God in a deeper way than they do. That's their, that was their heart when they had children. My, my dad's told me, I would love for you to go further than I've ever gone. Know more about God than I ever have. But for me to point back at him and, and disgrace and say, oh, you just don't get it yet. That's wrong for me to do. Kurt used a good example of, of some churches up in Ohio where he was raised. There, uh, I won't name the de- denomination, but they felt it was wrong to connect a fe- the fellowship hall to the main building. So all their fellowship halls were separated because it was unholy and it wasn't right. And he's like, does that mean that their faith is equal to my faith? And I was like, that's exactly what he's saying here. They, they believe in their relationship with God, that they should separate their fellowship buildings. And you know what? That's their faith, so we should honor their faith. And they should honor our faith where we think, well, we can have dance parties and and whatever here at the church. It takes both parties saying, you know what? I believe you know God and you're connected to God and you're living your life in response to your faith. So that's why we we say it's important when when people take steps of faith, when people do things, that we honor it, even if it looks like law to us. Even if it's ridiculous and we're like, oh man, that's so elementary. Or they may say that about us. Man, they just don't get it. They're just so far behind. No, I'm moving according to my faith right now and I'm growing my faith and my responses right now may look elementary to you, but they're my response to God and He loves it because it's my response. Now, here's the secret to that. Our faith should be increasing forever. And our responses should be increasing forever. You guys okay? All right, let's close it out. The promise comes by faith. So that it can be inherited by faith. 
When we trust in Jesus and who He is, we can inherit all He has paid for for us. He prophesies to dead things, they come alive. Here's how I want to close. It's very easy to, to become a believer and throw it into cruise control and not be challenged to grow our faith anymore. And it's very easy to rely on our expressions of faith from the past to be expressions of faith today. It's really easy for me to worship God the way I've always worshipped Him. It's really, we get into patterns, and those patterns aren't wrong, like I said. If it's of faith, then it's to be celebrated. But it's easy for us to just get into these patterns where we're not challenging ourselves to trust God in areas maybe we haven't before. Or we're not challenging ourselves to, to believe for things that we've never asked Him for before. It's easy to fall into this trap or into the other trap where we're just performing. We're just doing what we're supposed to do where there's no connection to it. I'm giving my offering, I'm lifting my hands, but there's no heart connection at all. It's easy to fall into those two things. And the Lord wants us to realize that, that grace pays. Grace empowers us. Grace causes us to act the way Jesus acted on the earth. Is everybody okay? People need to see a demonstration of who Jesus Christ is. Does everyone believe that? And how else can they see who Jesus Christ is if we don't show them? And to show them means we have to perform works. Jesus takes his disciples and commissions them. He goes, go heal the sick, go cleanse the lepers, go cast out demons, go preach the gospel. He told them to go. He sent them out with a goal of performing. Why? Because the people needed to see that the kingdom had come to earth. They needed to see it. The fact that they needed to see it did not mean they didn't have faith. The fact that they needed to see it was the cry in their heart for the same thing that was in God's heart. God wanted to reveal himself to mankind. He wants to be seen. He wants to be heard. He wants to be felt. Amen. Lord, we thank you for today. We ask that you would teach us what we need to learn, reinforce what's been planted in us, Lord. What we do matters, God. What we do matters, God. I pray that you make us people of action. I pray that you would stir up our faith to where we carry it out into activity in our lives. That we can test and prove what your will is, God. (laughs) That we can test and prove what your will is. In Jesus' name.